just by being there and just by using your voice and by showing up, you are making such a huge, huge difference. You know, if you weren't there, what would the conversations that you're in look like? Tanse, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm super excited to have Michelle Friesen here with me. She is a city councilor for the city of Whitehorse, the capital of the Yukon Territory, and in 2021, she was elected as the first Indigenous woman to serve on Whitehorse City Council, the first Indigenous person to sit in city council in 30 years. Michelle ran as a candidate in the Mountain View riding for the Yukon NDP in the 2021 territorial election and finished in second place by only 46 votes. Now she shares her experience and empowers others to seek leadership through her work as the co-founder of Lead As You Are, which aims to encourage diversity and representation in leadership and political roles. And earlier this year, Michelle and her adorable son, Theo, were in the media and all over TikTok after she faced complaints by fellow city council members to stop bringing her baby to meetings. Michelle went on to explain that this was always a piece of my culture and that children were always welcome in the room where decisions were being made. And so this is just a way for me to bring a piece of myself and of my culture into these spaces. So that's a little introduction to Michelle. Super excited to have you here. If you just want to introduce yourself to the audience, where you're from, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. So ING, Michelle Friesen Uye. My son is napping. I usually introduce him as well. Agara Theodore Uye. Ta'an Kwachan Iche. Agunda Iche. Kwanlin Kwatsan Iche. So my name is Michelle Friesen. If my son wakes up, you might hear him. He's got lots to say. So, <laughs> um, but his name is Theodore. Um, his Inuktitut name is Tiatua. My family is from the Ta'an Council, which is one of the First Nations that we share um, our traditional territories here with in, in Whitehorse, where I live. So, and I belong to the Wolf Clan. Sweet. So you were born and raised in Whitehorse? Uh, so I, I actually wasn't. My dad was born here. And so I have a lot of family here and a lot of connections here, but um, he was moved with his family to Alberta. And so that was where he raised his family. I kind of had like a serendipitous connection that that brought me back here. And ever since, you know, I just couldn't imagine being anywhere else now. And I just felt this instant connection here. And I just know that this is home and that this is where I was always supposed to be. So... Yeah, I know prior to this, we were mentioning how I've never been to the Yukon yet, and I really look forward to taking a trip out there one day. I've heard so many great things, and I must imagine that it feels pretty inspirational to represent the Yukon within the Whitehorse City Council. And so how does it feel to be the first Indigenous person in 30 years within that role? Yeah, so... um... When I put my name forward for city council, somebody had actually sent me a note and was like, hey, I don't think you're the first, but I think it's been a really long time since we've had Indigenous representation at city council. And I was kind of surprised by that. And so I looked it up online. And yeah, sure enough, the last time that an Indigenous person was elected was in 1991, which is the year that I was born. (laughs) Wow. And so, yeah, it's been quite a long time. And then being the first Indigenous woman elected, it feels like I'm so honored to have this space and and the privilege to um, serve 
the residents and and the people that share this home with me. It's also really nerve wracking sometimes, you know, it's been a long time and I feel like I really want to do a good job of representing um, Indigenous women and, you know, our First Nation priorities and, and issues. And it sometimes feels like a lot of pressure and I worry about, you know, not getting it right 100% of the time. And But I also am just like so thankful that I'm able to bring those voices and those perspectives. And I know that I can always connect back to community and I can always connect back to our elders. I've been able to bring perspectives that haven't been there for a really long time. And I've been able to ask questions that nobody's ever asked before. And so, yeah, I'm incredibly thankful for that honor and that privilege. Yeah, I think oftentimes people see like the role that we wear within society, but oftentimes they don't see the amount of work or responsibility or pressure that happens behind the scenes. And I think as Indigenous women, oftentimes we feel like we have to continuously advocate for our community, show up for our community. But also there is a lot of difference of opinions within our own community. So it's like, how do you really represent that? I want to know, like, what was your inspiration to take a position like this? Like, where did that advocacy and where did that really come from? <laughs> Representation has become something incredibly important to me in my journey. And it's something that I always go back to when I need to kind of like ground myself or when I'm feeling a bit lost in, in everything because this role um, can be extremely challenging and extremely exhausting. Sometimes looking back at where I was five years ago or four years ago even, I never would have imagined myself in a role like this. You know, I didn't picture myself as being a politician and still I don't really connect to the to that term politician. You know, when we think of a politician, I think that there is really still this box that people put that vision into, right? Like wearing a suit or um, having a certain educational background or maybe having money or family connections and things like that. And so that was never something that I saw for myself. But I do love community. I love connecting with community. I love empowering people. I love teaching. And so it was just through those passions of mine that I was doing some projects in the community and somebody recognized you know, what I was doing and the actual leadership qualities that I was showing by doing those things that I just loved and that just felt natural to me, they asked me to run in an election. So they asked me to run in the territorial election. And that was really the first time that that shift happened for me where I saw, oh, these things that I love doing are actually, you know, leadership qualities. And so I ran in that election. And as you mentioned, we came very close <laughs> to winning the riding. We, we were the runner up by 46 votes. And so I just, I mean, I was just so proud of the campaign that we ran. And I was so honored that people opened up to me and shared their stories and, you know, believed in me enough to bring their voices and, and to represent them. And I can feel myself just like getting emotional thinking about <laughs> it. It had such a big impact on me, but I also know that I had such a big impact on other people. And I really wanted to help keep that ripple effect going. And so then when the opportunity came to run for Whitehorse City Council, municipal government's the closest to our community. And so I just like jumped both feet into that opportunity and 
yeah, that representation piece has still just remained like so strong for me. And I know it's making such a huge difference for our next generations and, and for the, for other young people to just be able to see themselves in a role like this and to be encouraged and yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's so important to see ourselves represented within every level of industry and within policy and within um, the House of Commons. And I also recognize that oftentimes we are in these leadership positions before we're put in positions like this. Like, it sounds like you've done a lot of community work, which led you to the role that you're in now. And so what are ways that people can support the community that you're currently working with? So how can people support the Yukon right now? I know that we're sometimes dealing with the same struggles as Indigenous people, but specifically for your community, what's something that you're currently advocating for and how can we support the initiatives that you're you're trying to uh, get going? Um, I think there are some really hard things that our community are dealing with right now. You know, we have like a housing crisis. We are dealing with our, our territorial government declared a health emergency. Um, so we're dealing with the toxic drug supply and opioid crisis and we have like the highest per capita overdose death rate in the country right now and so those are things that are not only affecting the community that I live in but our territory as a whole you know and so we really deeply feel that and so there are these huge issues that we are looking at and advocating for and trying to just create safer better spaces for everyone but I think like all these big issues, and especially we're seeing it in social media, in the news, you know, it's all the time and it can feel so overwhelming. And when I just go back down to the root of it, I think how we can really support people and support our community is by supporting people, right? And by letting people know that when you see those leadership qualities in them, like let them know when they inspire you, let them know and help them step into these spaces so that we can have these perspectives at the tables where they're needed. And so that when we're talking about how, you know, Indigenous women are overrepresented in the overdose deaths, like then we have Indigenous people at the table that can share, you know, what's the best way that we can help our people. And they need to be at all tables, not just in political or leadership roles or positions of power or however you want to call it you know they need to be at every level they need to be in every room they need to be like the staff they need to be the volunteers and I think that's an easy way for people to feel like they can make a difference and get involved because those big things feel super overwhelming sometimes but what's important is that we support people on the ground to get into those spaces and together we can find the solutions Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes I feel like almost overwhelmed by the amount of problems that we face within our communities. What I'm hearing from you is like, we need to come back to supporting one another. And we also need the support of non-Indigenous people. I think like when I've been in those spaces and I've been advocating for stuff, the deepest friendships I've made is when people are non-Indigenous and they're supporting what I'm advocating for. And then the things that we're advocating for get pushed even farther because of that allyship and because of that support. And I know for you, you really... um, 
Maybe you pushed people's wrong buttons with bringing your son and Theo to the city council meetings. I know TikTok and the media kind of blew up over you bringing your son into these meetings. And you're like, this is a part of motherhood. This has been a part of my culture. And this has been a part of what I grew up seeing. And so could you give a little scope into what exactly happened and how that was feeling for you at the time? Yeah. And then that really just goes back to that representation piece, right? And creating those spaces. And that already was so important for me when I stepped into this role was encouraging other youth and other women and other Indigenous people to see themselves in these spaces and to know that, you know, they deserve to be there and they deserve to have their voices heard. And then when I became a mom, that was just like another layer to that, right? So I wanted other parents to see themselves in this role. Like our youth are so incredible. (laughs) They inspire me so much. And I just see like this huge group of young leaders like coming forward. And I know that they're going to be entering these roles. And so we need to be able to show them that you're not going to have to choose between doing this and having children or whatever that looks like. Right. And so I I adopted my son. And so, um, you know, I didn't have like a pregnancy or, you know, that time to like kind of prepare or um, come up with a game plan. Right. And so it was only a few months before he was going to be born that we found out he was coming and then he was two months early on top of that. And so it it was like, I don't even remember now it was such a whirlwind, but I think it was like eight weeks or something between like when we found out he was coming and when he was here, once he was born and I was going back to council meetings, I just brought him, you know, I didn't really ask for permission, I guess. Um, I didn't really feel like I needed to. Yeah. So he just started coming with me. He came to every council meeting every Monday night. He came to like our intergovernmental meetings, you know, he was around the table with the ministers and it was really fun to have him there with me. And it felt really special to have him there with me. And it just made me feel so connected to my culture. And it made me feel so powerful to be there, like as a matriarch, as a mother, and just really like kind of paving the way for him But also, I felt like it was such an important reminder of who we're making these decisions for. And when we're gone, like him and our other young people, they're the ones who are going to have to pick up this work and carry on with this work. And so I just felt like it was such an important reminder. And and then, of course, in our culture, the way that I've been taught, you know, is we came from a matriarchal system. And our women were the ones who were making decisions and our children were always welcome in the room, right? That's the way they learn. And yeah, so I just felt like that was so important. And, and um, of course, there were some issues with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just felt that it was important to bring a light to it when that happened, because I didn't want for this to just happen in silence I just felt that it was very important, especially when I've been such a strong advocate for that representation piece and showing people that they deserve to be here and things like that, that it was important to then set that precedent and make, you know, set an example so that the next person wouldn't have to have the same conversations, you know? And so I was trying to make it, it was one way that I saw that I could make the space more welcoming, more inclusive, more safe, right? By 
just taking away that one less hard conversation that the next person's going to have to have. And not even just for city council, right? But for any leadership role, right? Now they can say, oh, well, you know, Michelle and Theo were doing it. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so like, why like can't that? we, right? And so <laughs> that was why I felt like it was really important to speak up and speak out and share that story. Yeah, no, I think it's also really important as kids, like as youth, like you had mentioned, like being in an environment um, and just witnessing what goes on, like you never really know how that's going to impact your child. Like maybe he's going to come on to be the next city council. Like you never really know what he's going to do with that. And I think it's inspirational to also see that represented within within city council. I think, do you know Larissa Crawford? Because she also does it with her daughter, Zyra. So oh, she was yeah, like yeah, one yes. of, yeah. Yeah, I went to one of her uh, speeches and she had Zyra on stage with her and Zyra was probably like four, four years old. And I was like, wow, this is the first, that was my first time witnessing it. And I had even thought that it was an option at that point. So it does make a difference when you see it happen yourself. And I think it also makes a difference also within our communities because it shows reclamation of our teachings. And like you said, reclamation of what we've done before. And you brought up the term matriarchy. And I'm so curious, like how you would define the word matriarchy to yourself. Like what does being a matriarch look like to you? And who are matriarchs that you're currently inspired by? Oh, geez. Um, I think like I used to kind of think of, of, of a matriarch as like a mother. But I think just through my leadership journey and just speaking with others and seeing how how inspiring people around me can be, I think like my definition of matriarch has really changed a lot. Being a matriarch is more just bringing people together, creating that sense of community, lifting others up around you. You know what, actually, somebody, a local artist here did a a gallery. They have a gallery at our cultural center right now. It's called Matriarchs. And they put into words so well what I've been thinking for such a long time. So I'd actually really love to read this. It's um, by the curator Stormy Bradley. They're a Trondek Huachin First Nation citizen. And so it says, interpretations of matriarchy are just as varied as the cultures within the nations. What does it mean to be a matriarch? In a broad Indigenous context, a matriarch isn't necessarily a mother. It is someone in the community who has taken on the role of nurturing and supporting the youth, as well as maintaining cultural practices and knowledge. Matriarchs are mentors, mothers, sisters, aunties, trans or two-spirit leaders, artisans, and friends. A matriarch is someone who becomes directly a part of the intergenerational stream of knowledge, which is passed from individual to individual. They are both the stream of knowledge and the carrier. That's so beautiful. I know, That's also how beautiful. I view it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you think of motherhood, but then you also think of like giving back to your community and also that word that you used at the beginning, nourishment, like nourishing others. Yeah. That's how I think of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Uh, so I'm you're obviously inspired by Storm, Stormy. Is there any other matriarchs that you're currently inspired by? I think there's just so many. I find there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot, right? Like, um, I think I find small inspiration in everyone, right? And and so like, even like yourself, right? And I, I just like, I couldn't believe when I got the request to come on the podcast. I was like, is this real life? And even you like asking me to come and share my voice has just given me this like 
new sense of like inspiration and like I'm I just feel so honored to like share this space with you and also to have my voice added to this like amazing collection of matriarchs and of inspiring leaders and you know a lot of the youth I'm like I really I always say I'm looking up to the youth they're so inspiring and just the way that they are revitalizing language and culture and just incorporating that in so many ways and speaking out and holding holding their politicians accountable and like even their parents just the people around them right they're really holding people accountable and I see them lifting each other up all the time so maybe not a matriarch really but our youth for sure (laughs) well there's so many matriarchs in the making like there's so many young people that are doing great things across the country and I'm super inspired by that and also going back to that accountability piece what would your advice be for Indigenous youth that are wanting to get into politics? Because I know for me personally, I've seen plenty of Indigenous women now go through the House of Commons, have gone through these roles, and oftentimes they are feeling completely burnt out or like they're not supported by their peers. And so it kind of becomes a little discouraging to want to see myself even within those roles or even to see like, if I was younger, I, I would find that like a little bit discouraging. So what is your advice for Indigenous youth that are wanting to get into politics, that are wanting a, maybe a seat? at the House of Commons, like, what would your advice be so that they don't feel burnt out or they don't feel, like, overwhelmed? Well, I don't know if it's actually possible to, like, not feel those feelings. (laughs) Right. No, Um, totally. So I think maybe just just know that, like, those feelings probably will come up and make sure that you have, like, supports and and tools that can help ground you. Like, for, for instance, you know, earlier I talked about like my vision and why I stepped into this role in the first place. And so when I'm feeling like I'm just banging my head against a wall and I feel like, oh, like nothing's changing or this is happening so slowly, like, why am I here? I go back to that vision, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, this actually is making a huge difference. Like you never know who's watching you. You never know who you're inspiring just by being there and just by using your voice and by showing up. You are making such a huge, huge difference just recognizing that you are, you know, if you weren't there, what would the conversations that you're in look like if you weren't there? What questions would be missed? What perspectives would be missed if you weren't there? So those are things that keep me going. I think a really good example of that is um, when I first was elected to city council, Um, you know, in chambers and outside of city hall, we have flags. We have the flag, the Canadian flag, the Yukon territorial flag, and then the city of Whitehorse flag. You know, one day I just noticed like we're on the traditional territories of Kwanlun Dun First Nation and Ta'an Council. Where are their flags? <laughs> and so I asked the question, why don't we have the flags here? And they were like, oh, no one's ever asked that before. And so now on June 20th, we had a ceremony Um, in front of City Hall, where we permanently raised the two First Nation flags. We also now have the Lake LaBarge dialect of the Southern Toshone language on the front of City Hall. So it's it's translated um, to the place where um, they do business or the place where they speak about Kwanlin, which is the traditional name of, of Whitehorse. For me, I feel already more like I belong there and more encouraged to take up space. And I really hope that other people will feel that too, right? When they see those things that they can connect to. 
so yeah, I think um, the burnout is real. <laughs> the exhaustion is real. I'm not sure if those things are really unavoidable until um, we all take kind of a serious look and are prepared to put in the really hard work that it's going to take to work towards reconciliation and to make those spaces built with Indigenous people in mind and not kind of like as a check mark <laughs> activity or, or you know. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's important to come back to like your values when you're in those spaces. I think for me, and like you had said, like if you're not there advocating for things, then how, like who would be? And then our voices just continued to be silenced and to suppressed or lost and that was actually going to be my next question you brought up a few points now of like what the city has done and like how they've supported what you've advocated for do you think there has been movement and shift within so-called reconciliation do you feel like your words and what you're advocating for is actually being implemented um are you seeing a change within it how does reconciliation feel for you right now um, I feel like I go back and forth on this because it sometimes feels like we are making headway and there are things that come forward that I'm really excited about. Like, for example, we passed, um, it's called our official community plan and it's going to kind of guide the work that the city will do over the next 20, 20 years. And part of that was a reconciliation framework, but it also isn't going to happen overnight. And so it might not even happen in my term. And I wonder if, there will be another Indigenous voice at the table if if it's not me, you know, if I don't get reelected or if I don't run again or if the space just doesn't feel right for another Indigenous voice. Like, what if it's another 30 years before <laughs> we have Indigenous representation? And so those things are, are, are kind of what makes me go back and forth a bit because it is just so slow. And, and then there's the thing, just the things like... Um, you know, not being fully supported to bring my my son with me, you know, and it's like we're talking about our taxi bylaw because women in our community are experiencing violence when they are using when they're using that service. And so and we're, we've signed on to the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls Yukon strategy. And there's and there's important work like that that's happening. But then if we're not supporting Indigenous women to show up as them as their full selves and allowing them to take up space and creating room for that culture and those different ways of doing, then like, how can we meaningfully work towards those things without those perspectives, without those voices, without those lived experiences? There is good work happening, but we have a long way to go. Um, Reconciliation is like not a destination, right? It's a journey. And so these steps that we're taking are small steps in our journey. They have big impact, but they're small steps. So we've got a long way to go. Yeah, no, I feel that. That's why I was asking that question, because honestly, I've been toying with it in my head, too, because I feel like when the 215 children were found in Kamloops, um, there was a big uproar across, across the country. And all of a sudden, we had all these support of non-Indigenous people. But now, unfortunately, like this past Canada Day and this past June 21st, I even feel like in Vancouver, like the support isn't there as much as it once was. And so now I'm like, okay, is this just like 
Is, was that just a performance? Like, what are the solutions that we need within our communities, but we also need just as a collective? And I think it also comes back to healing. Like, I think when I look sometimes at comment sections or when I look at, like, some things on social media, I'm like, wow, we still have these, like, negative stereotypes ingrained towards Indigenous people or about us. And it's like, okay, well, how can we all, like truly heal those biases that we hold, like even about each other. And so what brings me back is like thinking of indigenous futurism and like coming back to like, it's okay. Okay. If this is what's happening, what do I want the future to look like and feel like? And for you, when you think of indigenous futurism, what does that look like for you? And like, what are you wanting to see manifest? So as an indigenous woman in a colonial space, I think what I would really love to see is for people to have more of an open mind to new ways of doing things and, you know, not being told that the way that I'm using my voice is not the right way to do it. You know, I sometimes feel like when those, when that language is used to me, towards me, when I'm using my voice, it feels like I'm trying to be put like back in this box or like I need to respect the comfortability of people who have traditionally held those spaces. So like traditionally that's white men, white people. Um, and so I need to cater to that white comfortability or else I'm disrespectful or else I'm not doing it the right way. And so I would really love for there to be space for us to use our voices in the way that the way that we deserve to use our voices and for that respect to also be given back to us. Cause I know there are lots of times where generally there are many times where I've been in rooms where people have said things where I know for a fact that they never took my comfortability into account. So it needs to go both ways. Right. And when things are said that are harmful or make you know, me feel uncomfortable. I need to be able to speak to that. I need to be able to, I need people to listen to me and I need people to hear me when I'm saying those things. We need the spaces to be built like with us in mind, right? Not the afterthought, not the checked box. Um, and when I'm coming into a space and saying, I'm bringing my son because this is part of my culture, then I need to be allowed to take up that space. And I need people and allies to help me make room for that culture and for those new ways of doing things instead of saying, well, that's not how we do things here. That futurism, I'd really love to just see that support and that space be given. Yeah, no, totally. Thank you for being vulnerable in that. I think oftentimes we don't see all the things that we're holding emotionally behind the scenes and how it is a lot just for one person to even handle at times. If we are thinking about the future, it's like, well, are we just reigniting the past framework over and over again? Like if we if there's been Indigenous voices missing from these spaces for 30 years now, what is the framework that we keep living? And it's not inclusive to Indigenous people and it's actually harming Indigenous people. And so I think the inclusivity part is like so important and also just seeing our faces within the spaces, not even just for one term, but like over and over and over again. So thanks for being vulnerable. I think it, I think it's also inspiring to just know that some of the feelings that I feel too, you're feeling as well. So it's like we're kind of in this together collectively, but in like different spaces. Yeah. And so 
for this next year, like how can people support the work that you're doing? I know you said that you're you're still on is it maternity leave? You're still on Parental leave? leave. Parental leave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what are your plans for twenty twenty three? What is that what's next for you? Um, well, it's the last year of my term on council and so I I really want to just like push even harder this year and I want to make sure that it's not 30 years again (laughs) before we have someone here. And so that is like really my priority. That's where I've been putting a lot of my time and energy is just to making sure that like when the next election comes around, you know, if it's not me, then somebody needs to be there. (laughs) And I understand, you know, especially now being on the other side, why those names haven't been on the ballot because, It's a lot of time and energy and it's time and energy that could be spent working for your own First Nation or working for environment or all these other things that are so important to us where we feel like we're actually making more of an impact because it's so slow here and it can feel like the time and energy is not really being used um, to its full potential, but it's still like so important to have those voices there. And so whatever I can do to make it feel like a space for Indigenous youth, Indigenous people, Indigenous women. I think that's really just like my priority moving forward this year. And I think a lot of times the work that I push for and that I advocate for gets lost in what a city council is traditionally supposed to take care of. You know, it's like potholes, roads, water, waste, but the role of a counselor. And I saw another counselor in um, Ontario post this and I loved it so much, but the role of a counselor is to advocate for community. And how I, I see people getting the attention is to just like send the emails, engage, come to council, you know, come speak to us. I know it's not always easy. Um, we had a grade 10 class come and speak to council as part of their final project. And it was so powerful and so amazing. Um, and so I'd love to see more youth entering that space. But yeah, just using your voice, really. That's that's how um, I would feel like supported to push for the work that I'm doing, because then it's not just it's not just me all the time, um, because I, I wonder sometimes if it gets like kind of tuned out, like, oh, there she goes again. Right. So right. <laughs> it would be um, it would be good. Um, yeah, I think leaders in these positions may feel more supported if they had um, that engagement from community and just seeing those messages and those priorities um, coming through in that way. I didn't even know it was an option to get to council. Like I had no idea that you could like go visit. So that's news to me. Like I, I didn't know you could just roll up or, I mean, you probably can't roll up. Like (laughs) there's probably like meetings and stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gotta like plan a visit. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, I mean, you can come to any council meeting if you want to sit and watch, or you can watch it online. They, 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 um, stream them live and they're all closed captioned. Yeah, like every second week we have standing committee. So standing committee is when like delegates could come and speak to us about anything that they wanted. Um, And then at our regular council meetings, you can also come and speak to council, but it has to be something that's already on the agenda. But yeah, anybody can come and speak to us and I highly encourage it. I love it when people come and 
and share. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you check out the next council meeting uh, with Michelle Friesen. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's another way for us to stay updated with what's happening in Whitehorse too, because honestly, I don't really, I feel so disconnected from what's happening in the Yukon. And so I, I assume that would be another way to stay updated with like what's going on within the community as well, correct? Yeah, for sure. And I know we've mentioned a lot about advocating for our communities on this podcast, but I'm wondering like, how do you advocate for yourself? How do you reclaim your power and your spirit and your voice when you're feeling burnt out? Like, what are those rituals that you come back to? Good question. That's something I need to work on, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as like putting my moccasins on and, and just like planting my feet on the ground, taking that moment to like tell my brain, okay, we're grounding ourselves. We need to just like take a break from, from all of that. And, uh, take a second for yourself, right? So sometimes it's really that simple. Sometimes if I come out of a really difficult conversation, I have like the tiniest little smudge bowl. And so I'll do a quick, you know, I'll just, I'll have a quick smudge and just um, take some deep breaths and kind of wash that off. And then I can focus on, okay, how am I going to move forward instead of focusing on all of those heavy, like negative feelings that Um, can come up for me I really feel that a lot in like my chest and so taking those deep breaths helps me to just um, relax my body and be able to focus more on finding a solution um, and moving forward and I'm really lucky I have some incredible supporters in my life and I have um, amazing community that I can reach out to and so just soundboarding off of people. Um, We also have a lot of access to culture here, which is really amazing. So like there are constantly sacred fires happening in the community. And so I can go to a sacred fire and offer tobacco or um, yeah, play my drum, you know, just those things that kind of put me and, and, you know, in our culture too, right? Like you can't do those things if you're in a bad, like if you, if you have a negative mindset, right? So it forces you to bring forward those good thoughts so that you can bead or sew or have ceremony or, you know, listen to your drum. And so, yeah, those are things that I do to ground myself and reset from the hard stuff. And I think just even that transition from like everyday life to like putting your moccasins on and just taking that moment, I think it's very important. And oftentimes, yeah, it may be the first thing to go. So coming back to those rituals so that we continue this work of advocating for our communities and also for ourselves. So thank you so much, Michelle, for advocating on this platform and also your continued work within the role and the responsibilities you have. I hope to meet Theo one day. I'll have to like come visit white horse and like get to know each one of you thank you so much for joining the podcast and if you just want to mention where people can support your work how they can follow you thank you so much hi hi shoni thun thank you so much for having me i feel again so honored to share my voice and to join this amazing collection of people that you've brought together and um, i really want to hold you up for that work along with everything else that i know you do. Um, It's so important to amplify these voices. Um, So really holding my hands up to you for that work. And if people want to follow me, I'm on Instagram as the Yukon Michelle. And um, I also have Facebook, Michelle Friesen. And then 
it's kind of in a hiatus mode right now because I had a baby. <laughs> he just turned one. <laughs> um, but I also have the Lead As You Are website. So um, leadasyouare.ca. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in and make sure you tune in to those city council meetings too. So yes. you stay updated. Yeah, with that's another place <laughs> to find me. Yeah, tune in. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, hi for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. I'm Shayla Olette Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on Matriarch Movement on Instagram at Shayla0H. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore. And I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>